Okay, let's get started. So, this Sefer, B'nai Machshavatova, is... Um, oh, I didn't give you? I'm sorry. Is extremely unique in the annals of Jewish history and, and Jewish writings. Because Bechlal, the Piazetzner, was a very unique person. And this, out of all of his writings, is probably the most unique because of the way that it's written and the purpose for which it's written. So, you know, it's, 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 um, it's so practical that it's amazing that this was written a hundred years ago, you know. So let me, let's talk first a little about the Piazetzner, just in case uh, anyone doesn't know. Kleidim is Kalman Shapira. He was the Rebbe Piazetzner. His father-in-law was Rebbe Achmiel Moshe from Koznitz, who was the son of the Koznitzer Magid, who was a student of the Magid Mizrich. So he had a pretty direct uh, act, you know, a line from the Baal Shem Tov. And <clears throat> he died, uh, I'm sorry, the, his father-in-law died when he was very young. Actually, very interesting. His father-in-law was his nephew. If you could think about that. His father-in-law was his nephew. <laughs> because his, his father and his father-in-law's father, there was a huge age gap between them. So he actually married his, his nephew's daughter. Shalom Aleichem. Baruch Hashem, how are you guys doing? Three pages. No. I, I, I got it, I totally get it. So, um, yeah, so, and his, and his father-in-law, who was his nephew, was very, very, very much had an influence on him more than anyone else. He quotes him very much. He quotes his father also, but uh, his father died when he was very young. The Piazetzner, his father died when he was very young. And, Shalom <clears throat> Aleichem. And um, it was really his, it's interesting, it was ironic, his nephew, who was his, father, who was his father-in-law, that's who raised him. That's, that's really who taught him and who raised him. He became Rebbe when he was 24 years old. Imagine, he was 24 years old when he became Rebbe, the Piazetzner Rebbe. And this book he wrote not too many years after that. <clears throat> so imagine, we're talking about someone in, you know, this genius, this tzaddik that was writing in his 20s, this thing that we're going to learn now together. And so what makes the Piazetzners, so just another historical fact, the Piazetzners is also pretty well known as, um, you know, he was, like I mentioned, the 20s and the 30s in Poland. He had hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of students. He was very, he was a big educator for children. Probably one of his most famous books is Choyves HaTalmidim, A Student's Obligation, which is highly recommended if you have students or children. If you have students or children, it's worthwhile reading a student's obligation. It's really, you know, to have a Hasidic Rebbe explain pedagogy like that, how to, how to deal with children. Because he, was, he was a Rebbe of many, many children. And <clears throat> um, so, you know, he, he wrote many books in a way that was completely novel and modern. You know, if you think about it, until really the 20th century, all the Jewish books are written, you have to like be a scholar to be able to decipher a lot of books that were written, and the Hasidic books, you know. They're written in, in a very rabbinic way that, that was very short and a lot of, you know, hints and Rosh Hashanah. The Piazetzner knew what was going on in Europe at the time. You know, we like to romanticize that before the Holocaust, everything, you know, everyone was... was had a strimal. So that's not the case. You know, there was the secularization. Huh? Yeah, right. There was no Yitzhahar before the war. Um, you know, there was the, the secularization had already started in the early 1800s. And by 1920, it was, it was a very uh, big proportion of Jewish people was already very much affected by, by contemporary culture and society. So the Piazetzner wrote in a language that's accessible. And he doesn't write in codes. <clears throat> he writes very clearly what he means. You know, you don't have to be a scholar to understand what he's saying. I mean, he has certain rabbinic hints here and there. But the, the, the style, his, always his style, is extremely very, very, uh, very accessible. And he was writing in a way that it should be 
For the Chavis Tamidim was for children. <clears throat> he has another sefer called Achshar Savrechem for older people. It's translated um, by Rabbi Yaakov David Shulman as uh, I forgot. I have to check. Well, I don't remember. But this book is is among all his books that are unique. This book Bnei Machshavatov is is really unique because, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know of any other sefer that is written for the sole purpose of making a chabura, of making a society, of making a, a group. of of And it's to the extent that really the Piazesner didn't want, at least in his writings, he didn't want anyone else to read this. So just to put things in perspective, I'd like to, I want to read a little from the introduction, from those that published it. It's in Hebrew, I'll just translate it into English. Just to understand the, the, the history of this book itself. So the Ksav Yad, the, the handwritten manuscript that the Pizetzner wrote of this, of this Sefer, he sent, to, by, by, he sent to Yerushalayim to his brother. Pizetzner had a brother called Rebishaya Shapira, who was known as Hadmor HaChalutz. He was one of the Zionist, real Zionist Hasidic Rebbes. And he was, you know what the Chalutzim were, right? The Chalutzim were the... That, is it raining? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, the Chalutzim is the name for the pioneers that, oh, wow, that originally came, came to settle it, Eretz Israel, to settle Israel. That was the, the Chalutzim. So he was called the, the Chalutz Rebbe, the pioneer Rebbe. And so he was living in Eretz Israel. So the Piazesner sent the manuscript of this book to his brother because he wanted that it should first be printed in Yerushalayim. Because that's not a thing. He wanted that it should be printed in Yerushalayim and that he should send it back to him in Poland. And um, he, 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 had a, he asked for a very small amount of copies to be made because he intended it just to be for those that are part. You're going to see he's going to try to scare us away. Once we start getting into the, the book itself, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna try to scare you away. <clears throat> you know, there's a vart from the Kotzker. So you remember the story that when Rebbe ben Azariah said, I'm like 70 years old, and he became the head of the Sanhedrin, the Gemara says that he took away the guards from the door of the base Medrash. Because when Rav Gamliel was the head of the Sanhedrin, when Rav Gamliel was the Nasi, he would only let those enter whose insides was like their outsides, who were as, as the same inside as their authentic inside and outside. He had guards, that would, and that's another, another question. How did, so the Kotzker asks, so how did the guards know? I mean, how, do the, how would the guards know who to, who to let in and who not to let in? How are they supposed to know who's authentic or not? So the Kutzker said they didn't let anyone in. And those that needed to get in got in anyway. It's a deep vart. They didn't let anyone in. <clears throat> they were guards, they pushed, they were bouncers, everyone couldn't come. But if you needed to get in, you got in there anyway. You know, like they say, the Chidush Arim, the Geir Ebba, his student, by the Tish, there was so much pushing and... and there were people, Hasim in the back, they were complaining they couldn't hear. So Chedushim said, whatever you need to hear, you'll hear. So he's going to try to scare us away a few times, but we have to keep going in. Because as you'll see, it's very intense. The, the, the Sefer is a very, like, very practical, very intense Sefer, because it really gets, it's an instruction manual, really. So let me just keep reading from the introduction. So, um, so the Piaz Esner explicitly said that he didn't want this uh, to be disseminated. And after the Holocaust, there was just a couple of copies left that miraculously made it back to Eretz Yisrael. And they, they were thinking that now, that after the Pizetzner, after the Holocaust and after you know, everything that happened, they were thinking that now would be a time that he would let it to be published. He would allow it to be published. So this, the people that put it out went and they asked the Ozhova Rebbe and the... Um, the Sochachev Rebbe, the Koznitz Rebbe, they, they went around the, the Chibina, the, the Chibina Rebbe, they asked a few people, and they all said that you could rely on it, and you could, now you could publish it. Now it's time you could publish it, and it's okay. That, that probably the Piazetzner in today's day and age would, would allow it to be published. No, this one, the copy was sent to Eretz Yisrael. They, found, they had a copy from from those that made it to Eretz Yisrael. It was actually printed already. It was printed pretty early in his lifetime, the, this, the Sefer. Like I said, I think it was in his late 20s. So, <clears throat> um, the, the, the 
translation that's more famous of this book. Okay, so let me do So the Piazetsna really wanted, as opposed to his book, Student's Obligation, which was for everyone, this was supposed to be a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exclusive. Uh, exclusive club. This was supposed to be an exclusive club. And what it is, is an Emmanuel how to be part of this group, what this group is supposed to be. Now, one of the express, the things that, that he does write about is that those in the, the people in the group should share as we go on, as we move together, because it's, it's not just me lecturing. <clears throat> it's going to be a give and take. And I hope to hear you know, how some of these exercises and some of these techniques work for you as we move along. And I am recording it because some, you know, somebody asked me to record it. And, uh, um, but if anyone wants to share, you know, just signal with your finger and I'll, I'll, I'll shut it off if anyone wants to share something personal you know, but as we move along. So what does it mean, B'nai Machshava Tova? Let's talk about the title a little. B'nai Machshava Tova. It's a very hard uh, word to translate. So the translation, the Aronson one, the old one, <clears throat> that's been around for a couple of decades already, um, she translated as conscious community. Her translation is conscious community. That's a pretty, it's a, nice, it's a nice title, but it's a pretty lousy translation of what the Piazetsna was trying to do. Because Machshava, the way the Piazetsna explains it, is not at all the same thing as consciousness. It's true that Machshava brings, will bring about states of consciousness. But when he means Machshava, he doesn't mean the state of consciousness yet. He means an actual, the activity of machshava. Let's define what machshava is. <clears throat> the translation is thought. What is thought? What is thinking? What is thinking? <clears throat> when you think something, what's happening when you're thinking? What's the difference between intellect and thinking? New thoughts versus new uh, existing. Interesting, yeah, that's definitely true, yes. Hey, Michael, that's definitely true. Um, you know, it's interesting, in Tanya, the third chapter, he writes about the ten faculties of the soul. And he, the, mainly the ten spheres of the soul, intellect and emotions. And then in chapter four, he talks about the garments of the soul, the, what the soul wears, thought, speech, and action. So intellect and emotions is a part of the soul itself. Thinking is something you do. And we have to talk about this because because otherwise we can't we won't be able to understand the title. Right? I don't just mean to get epistemological for the sake, you know, for its own sake because we have to understand what the title means. So intellect and emotions is who you are. We would call that your personality. Right? Intellect and emotions is what we would call your personality. Thinking is an activity of revealing what's in your intellect or what's in your senses. In other words, here's the best way to understand it. You, you are your intellect. You are your intelligence. Right? You are your opinions, your, your, your ideas. Thinking is what's on the movie screen of the mind. That's what thinking is. Thinking is what's actually in the movie screen of the mind. The best way to, 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 um, to, to understand the difference between intellect and thinking and thought, I'm going to say now the following thing, and I want everyone to think it in their mind. You ready? Two plus two equals five. <clears throat> think it in your mind. As it, just like if you were saying it, you could say it in your mind, right? Now try to understand it. There it stops, right? There all of a sudden you can't... There all of a sudden I can't understand. It's wrong. I could think 2 plus 2 equals 5. I could think the words, but to understand it, I can't. That's the difference between seichel and machshava. That's the two parts of mind, intellect and thinking. Now why is this very important? Because the Piazetzner's methodology of thinking, which we're going to talk a lot about, is very different from a lot of other types of, of, of svarim and other, and other drochim, other paths in, in Yiddishkeit. The Piazetzner has a very evocative, very, very colorful and graphic imaginary technique. That's really what this book is. 
It's using imagination to be able to feel God. Now the translation... Yeah, go ahead. I have no... I, I pictured two straws and three straws. I have five straws. <clears throat> no, I said two plus two equals five. Two plus two equals two. five. Yeah, two plus two equals five. I have two straws and two straws. It doesn't equal five. Exactly. So, I'm, but I'm trying to show the difference between seichel and machshava, between intellect and thinking. That intellect is already you. Thinking is what you do. Thinking, thinking is what acts on the movie screen of your mind. So you could play, or you could, or you could play in your mind the words two plus two equals five, but you can't understand it. So the the so the the um, uh, um, no the um, transition. From, from being able to think the words 2 plus 3 equals 5 to not being able to understand it, that's the difference between Seichel and Machshava. Why is this important? Because the Piazet, one second, the Piazetzner is very clear that it's not about being smart. It's not about being smart. He wants to make God accessible to the masses, literally. I mean, here is, it's for his, his people. But he wants to be able to make people that are willing to be part of this Chabura, that fulfill all the conditions, he wants to make godliness available to them in a way that's not just for tzaddikim. And that's why the translation that we're going to be using, which is a more recent translation, by Yaakov David Shulman, I don't know if you know, <clears throat> he's a very wonderful translator. He translated Arasachuva for Rebbe Warmberger's set on Rav Kook's Arasachuva. Bechal, he has ravkook.net. He has beautiful translation of pieces from Rav Kook. Today was Dafke's Yerzeit. Today was Rav Kook's Yerzeit, the third of Elul. So Ravkook.net, if you want to see, want to be inspired, it's worthwhile to go there to see. So he's a really good translator. So he translated this, and the title that he gave for this is Experiencing God. He didn't actually try to translate it. He just said, what's the point of the book? Experiencing God. To try to put the mind in a way, to think in a way, to, 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 that thinking is the pathway to experiencing God as much as possible. Yeah, what do you want to know? I was just... I'm wondering how much we should... You can tell me if my question is not necessary. Okay. Because I'm wondering how much to bear down on the differences of, of like thinking language. that we, we have a lot more than just intellect and, and thought. I mean, there's like understanding and there's... Yeah, sure. That's why I'm not getting into details. No, but you're saying it's not so important. I, um, no. No. Uh, no. At this point, I just want to speak about the difference between... Your intellect, what you know. I would think intellect is actually not the same thing as what you know. Intellect is more of <coughs> a capacity, I would say. Your understanding of the things that you... Okay, so how would you translate seichel? Understanding. Understanding? Or maybe, maybe if seichel is the capacity, I would call it intellect. If it's the things you know, I would call it your understanding, your... It's important. I mean, this, this, is, this is an important conversation because we want to make sure we're all talking important. about the same language. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> What's the difference between software and hardware? Hardware is where you store the information. Right. The software, and software is the information that you're actually, that's on the screen, right? Are the programs by which that information is... Accessed. Displayed, accessed, analyzed. So when it's actually accessed, that's thought. When it's actually on the, the computer screen, that's thought. The hardware and software are parts of... That would be in the muscle and the parable parts of the mind, of what you know, your ability to know. Not getting into the, that, that much more. I think you're saying also, some, I mean, there's, there's more actually techno- a good technology thing. There's RAM and there's, right, there, there's like long, there's long memory and there's the memory that the computer is actively using right now. Uh-huh. Is that what you're saying? There's stuff that you held in, in like long storage. This is stuff that's like in front, in front of your mind right Correct. now. Correct. That's thinking. That's thinking. That's Machshava. Yes. The idea you're currently holding in your head. Correct. Because capacity for holding thought is not the same thing as all the stuff you hold long term. Say that again? Like the, the capacity, I would say to me, like intellect is how much memory storage do you have? How, how fast can your brain work? Which is different from, that's like the... That's the, the hardware. What's the quality of your machinery? That's the hardware. Versus like, what do you have stored in your That's the software. Memory? No, I would say, that's not, no, it's a long term, it's whatever is stored. It's all your files. <clears throat> okay. All the files is your, your deep memories from like your childhood and, you know, stuff that you might remember later, songs that you know by heart, but you're not really thinking about right now. All the stored files. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the thing, I'm sorry, 
I just want to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And then there's like the thing that the computer is think pulling is, up right now. Right. That's the thing. What's actually on the screen. Okay. That's the thinking. Okay. Right? That's the, the, the DVDs and the, and the DVD player are the brain, and what's actually on the mind is the thinking. So that's what I mean by seichel. I don't have a really good translation for seichel. You're right, intellect has, has certain connotations. But the point is that it's not about, it's not about understanding things that are deep. It's about a certain type of meditation. Because the Piazetzner's form of meditation is very unique. It's a very different type of meditation than in many other drachim, uh, uh, especially, for instance, like Chabad. Right? Chabad is a very different type of meditation than the Piazetzner. Chabad is understanding ideas about God and focusing on them. Now, Bechal, let's just talk, when we talk about meditation, Jewish meditation for the most part, I mean, there is such a thing in, in Jewish meditation from the Piazetzner also of clearing the mind. Right? Meditation is very often understood to be to clear the mind. To, be, to try to subdue thoughts or make the, you know, have peace of mind, right? That the mind shouldn't be active. It's mindfulness meditation, etc. You know, in Buddhism, it's very, that, that's how it's very much presented. Meditation to clear the mind. Now, the Pizetsun does recommend that. He speaks about that in, um, in Hachshar uh, Savrechen. Um, he says, the, the uh, Pizetsun says that if, if you think for a second about your, thought, your thoughts that you have in the course of an hour, and a crazy person that's in an, ins- an asylum, the only difference is that they say what's going, what you're thinking, right? In other words, our, our, our thoughts, it speaks about the need to be able to silence the thoughts, right? So there's the, there are different methods of how to silence the thoughts, for instance, even focusing on the breath, different techniques like that to silence the thoughts. Chabad meditation is not that. Chabad meditation is just like meditation of silencing the thoughts is focusing, let's say, on the breath, Chabad meditation is focusing on ideas about God and fixing your mind on that. The Piazetzner's meditation is imaginative techniques, storytelling in the mind, actually picturing whole scenes. In Achshosh the whole sixth chapter, like he has three pages of what you should picture, how you should picture Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. He gets into details. This and you slept it like he mamish gets into like he's telling the story, and he wants you to play that out in your mind. The seventh chapter, then he talks. He spends all chapter talking about picturing the day of your death. <laughs> not a very, not a very uplifting and inspiring thing, but you know, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes important also for a person to to to, to keep in mind. So the Piazzetta's meditation is imaginative. He wants you to be able to, you know, be able to picture with your mind in the course of the day. That's machshava. Machshava is thinking, and machshava tova means that really, really, as it says in the in the as you walk into the shul, right from the Buddha, you are where your thoughts are, right? You are where your thoughts are. Your thinking is you. What's on the movie screen in your mind is you. Now, imagination very often has a, has a bad connotation. Because very often when you hear imagination, so you think that that's like, you know, chalayim is, uh, you know, um, like figment. Remember from Epcot, figment, anyone? No? The, the purple dragon, yeah? So it was my favorite doll when I was a kid. So figment is imagination, right? That's the ride at Epcot. So a lot of people think of imagination as being not real. But the truth is that Kant, Immanuel Kant, philosophically explained that imagination is really the only way we know things. Kant that says that we don't know the things in themselves but only our own thought process. So he says that imagination is really all you know. Your representations of things in your mind is that's really how you're experiencing reality with the imaginative faculty. The Rambam, who is the ultimate rationalist, right? The Rambam speaks about, in Moira Nevuchim, in the Guide of the Perplexed, in chapter 32, when he speaks about prophecy, he speaks all about imagination. And the need to, to that, that prophecy is developed imagination. That you develop your imagination, your mind, to the extent that your imaginative faculty taps into the Seichel to, to divine levels. 
Rav Kook writes about in Orot. He has a very interesting piece where he speaks about why modernity is so much into imagination. Right? If you think about uh, the past 150 years, right, from since the Romantic movement, think about who's popular in the world. Imaginative people, playwrights, poets, movie maker, movie actors, artists, right? But how many academics or scientists could you name, right? The, 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 it's much more the imaginative faculty is much more expressed in modern times. And Rav Cook wrote... You have to be imaginative to split the atom. I mean, how could you possibly do that unless you had the imagination to do that? True, that's a good point. That's yeah. right. Even, in other words, even, even cognitive studies need imagination, right? right? That, like, like Kant said, when, when, even when you're saying what, 2 plus 2 equals 4 in your mind, the thinking process is imaginative also, right? So Rav Kook says the reason that the imagination has been so much focused on in the modern times is because we're preparing for the times of Mashiach, when we're all going to be prophets. So it's a good, it's a very important tool to develop. And, and that's what, that's what B'nai Machshavatov means. It means a group that are going to go together through spiritual development, through learning how to harness the mind, harness the thinking processes. Because you are who your thoughts are, and your thoughts should be with God. And that, like I said, it's a very intense book. Like, Imamish, he wants you to experience God. He wants you to be living with God really all the time. And that's what he's going to say how to do. So let's take a look at the at the introduction. If um, okay. here, so all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably go back and forth sometimes in the Hebrew because sometimes his language is very beautiful. Okay. So introduction. This is this is what's written over. Just so you should see the way the page is written. Um, by the way, if you want to get uh, the English one, it's on Amazon. You could get it from Shulman Experience in the Divine. It's on Amazon. This one um, they have in Sfarm stores. And, uh, not in I don't know if in Tina. Right? I know not. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll for you. The guy what in Wine Trap said that he. Yeah. I asked him. He has to order it. Yeah. All right. Right. You guess in a couple days. Yeah, I should order a couple. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you see over here, this is what this is what's translated as the introduction. This little paragraph over here, which you wrote on top of the title, and and you see after we see In other words, he that's he doesn't call it as a title. It says he gives this introduction. It says, and it's proper that they should be called bnei machshavatova. So let's let's read the introduction. A number of young men of my acquaintance wish to form a society dedicated to the spiritual goal of uniting God and the community of Israel. Which, of course, is, is ultimately what all of Torah are about and what's going to, you know, on a, gr- on a general scale will happen when Mashiach comes, but what's supposed to happen to each and every one of us when we daven, right? With God's help, I'm writing the following text for them. And it is appropriate that it be called Experiencing the Divine, or B'nai Machshavatova, literally the Society for Positive Mindfulness. Now, so that's how uh, he ex- he translates machshava as mindfulness. Now, I don't like that so much because mindfulness has a specific type of connotation as a meditation technique, and that's not what the what the Pizetsu is talking about. He's not talking about mindfulness the way that that today in modern society people think of mindfulness. That's why machshava um, is a really hard thing to translate, but it's really. The, those that are trying to harness the thinking process, the actual act of thinking. Yeah? Okay. And then he, then he writes the possessor, he quotes from actually Ludavid Hashem which we started saying, One thing have I asked of Hashem, I will request it to view the pleasantness of Hashem and to contemplate within His palace. Lachzois Lachza is to see the pleasantness of Hashem and to contemplate within His palace, right? To, to, so that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see how it could be in Hashem's palace, literally, you know, in, in the course of a day, you know, by davening. That's what He's trying to do. Okay, let's go. Let's start. What's that? 
What do you mean? Yeah, it, I, it isn't. Yeah, I saw that. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I never thought that that's what Levaka Bechalo means, but that's an interesting translation. I, I don't know. Did anyone have I don't have a, t- a watch. What time is it? Okay. Um, all right, so let's read. The goal of this group. Okay, so this, as you'll see, this is, uh, we have, this is the first chapter. Is he, he writes the goals of the group. And it's very short. It's not very long. But it's, I think, probably one of the most beautiful parts of the book. It's really, it's, it's, uh, it's so beautifully written and so, so thank you. And so, um, you'll see. Let's see it inside. Our goal is not new. It is no different from the goal and hope of every Jew. Our desire and goal is to serve Hashem, our God, the God of Avram, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov. <clears throat> now, it's in, um, um, you'll forgive me for my running commentary, but when he says it is no different from the goal and hope of every Jew, he means literally every Jew, right? Literally every Jew, even those that don't know it of it consciously, Every Jew wants to serve Hashem. That's what we are. We're a nation that's supposed to be Avdeh Hashem, to serve Hashem, right? to be servants of Hashem. We seek a wholehearted service, a complete service that utilizes all the limbs of our body. Now, in, just to explain, in, in the Hebrew, he writes, Avedah Tama, Avedah Shlema. Avedah Shlema means whole, right? A whole, a whole service, complete service. But when he says Avaida Tama, he's making a very interesting reference. In in the Gemara, when it comes to korbanos, right? So only certain um, you're not allowed to bring a sacrifice of korban outside the Beis Hamikdash. But you're only chayav, and you're only it's only you're only obligated if you do certain avodas, certain services of the korban, and it's always what's called the Gemara Avaida. If it, the actual putting of the blood or the actual putting of the limbs. It means, what Avedat Tama means, is that you're completely there. You're all there. Right? <clears throat> a complete service that utilizes all the limbs of our body and spirit. All the limbs of our body. The limbs of our spirit. Not, in other words, not just the body. Not just, not just to serve God with, with the body, but also with the limbs of the spirit. To put chai is to put vitality in our serving Hashem, not just to go through the motions. So that not one sinew of our body, nor one spark of our spirit will extend beyond the holiness of Hashem that hovers upon us and encompasses us. <clears throat> so what's he saying over here? He's, that not one spark of our spirit should extend beyond the holiness of Hashem that hovers upon us and encompasses us. What do you think he means over here? How do you understand that? That your mind is only, like your whole body and your mind, and every every part of you is really just with Hashem, and it's not like distracted by Mm -hmm. anything else. And I think hovering upon us and encompasses, like, you know, it, it doesn't extend beyond that, which is kind of ironic, because how could you extend beyond that? Because like, Hashem is everywhere. So. Well, he, he, mean, he means to say that, uh, extend beyond the holiness, he means to say that it will never, that none of it will go out. He means, it's, it is a little misleading. He means it will go out, out of the holiness of Hashem. So in other words, you're fully within the holiness, which like is a mikra. Very, very hard to achieve that state Right. And, and, and he says that, that we'll, always, we'll never go out the holiness of Hashem that hovers upon us and encompasses us. So it's, it's a very important thing to know. I mean, in Chabad, see, this, this is explained at tremendous length. In the, in the Polish forum, more, they more speak about the Amun of this, the Amun that Einar Movade, that you're always within Hashem. Right? Well, oh, Hashem the, the, the Hashem hovers upon us and encompasses us. The question is if we're cognizant of it. We have to become cognizant of it. That's that's true. We have to just stel to the matzah. We have to um, uh, train ourselves to be cognizant of the truth of Hashem, because again, the, a, a person could be an Orthodox Jew for forty, fifty, seventy years and not 
come to a place where you feel that when you're doing a mitzvah, when you're putting on tefillin, when you're davening, you're actually having a relationship and connecting with Hashem. And that depends on the mind. It depends on the mind being able to have that focus on the fact that Hashem is there, right? The, the, the amount that one will get out of their Yiddishkeit is based on how much one puts his, machshav, his or her machshav. That's, that's really where you are where your thoughts are. You like referencing like the Mimale and Misolev? Mm-hmm. So the, sure. the way you describe it sounds more like how Hashem encompasses you, but not that Misolev, where you suddenly put on Tefillin, you recognize that. How do you relate it to a more Misolev? Yeah, so, so he, he's, he, he, he's talking about that when he says, means that it's touching us. Right. God touches us, and yet he, and yet he encompasses us. Right? Misolev but is encompassing. Encompassing light. That's the encompassing light of Hashem. So Hashem is is like hovering over us right. in a close way and encompasses us in his infinity. Right. But he's not getting into the... That's, that's what I'm saying. Like in Chabad, you'd spend, yeah. you know, two hours just explaining, you know, what does that mean? So here, he was talking about the amuna of it, right? The amuna that you're always within Hashem. That's the, bot- the bottom line of it. So he says that, that the goal of this group is to serve Hashem, but in a way of like a mikvah, that your whole, that nothing, none of our being, none of our mind, none of our body, we should completely be involved in the serving of Hashem, that all of us, all of us, you know, I don't know if anyone here knows Frank Sinatra, but when somebody loves you, it's no good unless they love you all the way. You know that song? All the way. So yeah, so we have to love Hashem all the way, right? That's... That's how we have to love Hashem all the way. Not one spark of our spirit should go out of should go out of the holiness of Hashem. And therefore, we pray. Now, this is this is going to be your first uh, um, the first taste of of the Pizetzner. Of he's going to say this from here till the end of the paragraph is one prayer, so to speak. And you'll see how he gets how he gets graphic. And you'll see his language. And therefore, we pray. Quote: Our Father, compassionate Father. Have mercy on us. Awaken within our heart a spark of desire and awareness. Um, he, in, in Hebrew, nitzaitz rotzayin vedas. Rotzayin vedas. A spark of desire and awareness. So that we will know that it is not enough to be like a mere slave, the son of a maidservant. It's true that he too serves the king. But he works behind the millstone, far away from the king. He does not hear the king's words, nor does he ever experience any satisfaction or pleasure from the king's radiance. Instead, he serves the king with a closed mind and a dulled heart. So that's the, the Piazzetzer is saying, we don't want to be just like a, a, a servant, the, the, the son of a maidservant. Now, just want to say parenthetically, Obviously, the Piazetzner is not coming to, we're in Elul, it's preparing for Rosh Hashanah. The Piazetzner is not coming to say that we shouldn't also be servants of Hashem, right? Hashem is supposed to be our, is our father and our king, right? Avinu Malkeinu. So, so there is such a thing, of course, of being servants of Hashem, of being Avde Hashem, of feeling oneself a servant of Hashem. You know, and in, in, and in a very deep way, Hasidus explains being a servant of Hashem is in some ways even deeper than being a son. Friends, if I would say to you, who here knows who built the first base on Megdash? Shlomo. Shlomo, right. right? Do you think Shlomo actually got his hands dirty? Yes. <laughs> he, Why not? Because he was the king. So his servants built it. He didn't he build it. King. Right. So he his servants built it, but we say that he built it. Why? Organized. Because right. what Yodikiyad Rabbi. What's an Eved? Your, the hand of the servant is, is his master's hand. So it's like you become an extension of the master. So when you become an Eved Hashem, you become like Hashem's, you become an extension of Hashem. It's a very deep connection also. But what the Piazetzner is saying, negating, so to speak, is when he speaks about negating this, 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 the, the servant, the son of the maidservant, he means a person that you know, uh, doesn't really belong. I, when the kid of the maidservant you have a maidservant in the house and she brings her kid for the day right so he doesn't feel at home I'm talking about if you, if you ever have a, a housekeeper a cleaning lady she comes with her kid it's, the kid doesn't feel at home he, he feels like a stranger he doesn't feel it right and so some, sometimes 
it could be that serving Hashem feels like that. Right? That we don't feel the we don't hear the king's words, we don't feel the pleasure of the king's radiance. And that's what he wants the Pizetsman. He wants that we should experience the pleasure of Hashem's radiance. And he's saying it depends on the thought, on harnessing the thought. We shouldn't serve the king with a closed mind and dull heart. A contrast between distance and closeness. Right? That's Right. Yeah. Right. He doesn't experience the king's radiance. Right. He doesn't experience the king's radiance. Yeah. Some servants might be like close. Huh? Might have a butler who dresses the king. Right. Right. But some servants were going to feel never see the king. Never know that. Right. Right. He doesn't have pleasure and 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 hana from from the king. Means that that you feel it like you, you know you you do it because you have to do it, but it's not you don't feel at home, you don't feel at home within God, right? You don't feel at home. You know, it doesn't feel like it's it's something meaningful, deep. But our desire and longing is. Let's go further. The third paragraph. Our desire and longing is to be among those who are called the children of Hashem, your God. So that in the service of God, whether in learning Torah davening or other mitzvahs we feel our closeness to God we wish to be like the son rejoicing to greet his father after an absence of years and after having suffered in his great yearnings for his father imagine the child has been waiting to see his father for years when we serve God we should also feel our soul racing to greet its father our soul that has yearned for him all day and all night now it races and dissolves as it is poured onto the bosom of his Father in heaven. Uh, in, in, in Hebrew, nemesis hanefesh, which means literally the melting of the soul. He says the dissolving, the melting of the soul, that the soul as it is poured into the bosom of the Father in heaven. Now, that's how we want to feel that, you know, that there should be, might I say, even an excitement to, to daven because that's the time that I'm going to be able to come close to Hashem. And not only at times of prayer, let's finish the, the, and not only at times of prayer and other service should we feel close to God and take pleasure from the radiance and glory may be blessed. Rather, our thoughts should always be so clear, strong, and connected to His holiness that it can overwhelm our senses. Then, I'm going to read it again, but let's finish. Then our senses will be unable to confuse our thoughts and turn them astray. So what, what does he mean over here? That he wants that it should be able to overwhelm our senses. Let's first explain what that means. He said, not just by davening, but in a way that you'll feel close to God and take pleasure from the radiance of His glory always. In a way that, that, that our thought, look at the words he uses, our thought should be clear strong and connected to His Holiness. Clear, strong and connected to His Holiness. He's going to quote in the Sefer, as we get further in, he's going to quote from Rabbi Lemelch from the Zhensk. If you know the famous tefillah uh, of Rabbi Lemelch from the Zhensk, the one, if you have any Avram Fried friends, uh, there's a song, Adarabah. Mm-hmm. Remember that song? Adarabah Tembeli Beinu. That's a quote from the tefillah of Rabbi Lemelch from the Zhensk. So he's going to He's gonna. Um, he's gonna. Uh, one of the things in the prayer over there is shetayt filasi shetayt machshavti zaku brura, clear and, and and refined. To have a strong mind. To have a strong. Be able to have a strong mind. Bara chazaka v'kshub kedushase chazaka. What does it mean to have a strong mind? When he says that our thoughts should always be so clear, strong chazaka. What does it mean a strong mind? So it means like we said before that. You see, how do you, how do you learn how to pick up weights? You have to just keep, keep picking them up, right? Until and you add the weight as time goes on. How do you get clear thoughts? By training the mind. And, and again, it's not about being smart. It's not about analytical things. It's about, we're going to learn about imagination, right? About techniques of imagination. So that's what it means that our thought should always be so clear, strong, and connected to God's holiness that it can overwhelm our senses. What does it mean, overwhelm our senses? What does he mean to say? Because our senses could lead us astray, right? To over, overpower, I think it's better overpower our senses. 
not overwhelm our senses. This gabra al chushena means over overpower our senses. I think that's a better translation, right? What does he mean? That said that that what are our senses? Thinking, I'm sorry, uh, see, sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch, right? Five senses. And that's how we experience reality, seemingly. Five senses. But God can't be experienced with the five senses until Mashiach comes. We don't see him, hear him, taste him, smell him, or touch him, right? So how could we experience God with thinking? And the thinking has to be so strong that it could overcome, overpower, lead gaber, lead gaber al chushenu, to overpower our senses. Because our senses deceive us. Because what are our senses experience? This world. Just this world. Not God. And so, let's keep reading. Then our senses will be unable to confuse our thoughts and turn them astray and tell us that this world you see is everything. This physicality that you sense is everything. Right? That, that's what the, our senses, our, 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 our animal soul, our Yetzirah, tells us that this is it. This world, this is all there is. This is where you should get your pleasure from. And even more, our senses will become subjugated to the thought of our heart so that they themselves will perceive God's holiness permeating all being. Again, our senses will be subjugated to the thought of our heart so that they themselves will perceive God's holiness permeating all being. So um, I'm going to finish with this. I, I think we'll probably pick up with this again uh, next week. But it's very important when he says over here that, the, that even more that you have such a strong thought that it subjugates the senses until the senses themselves perceives God's holiness permeating all being. Now what does that mean? How do the senses themselves perceive God's radiance all of being? This is about that, right? In other words, that you, you that you, shows or tells, teaches how that your, your thoughts are so strong that when you look at the world, you're seeing elokus. You're seeing godliness. It's not that you just believe but that when you see when you see a tree, you're seeing godliness because the thought is so strong with God that that becomes the lens through which you see reality. And uh, we'll pick up Mitzvah Shem over here next week. Any uh, thoughts, comments, or? So we're, we're comparing in the beginning. We were saying thoughts and intellect. Uh huh. Right. Let's stay in the world of thought and not. You know, be brought down in this exercise about our intellect, uh-huh. and here we're talking about thought and not letting our senses and our, let's say, our conditioned, um, worldly, this worldly um, um, instincts muddle the thought. So, our is intellect and senses. Since you're making a, a comparison of, of intellect and senses, are they? Um. Well, when, when he was comparing thought and intellect, it's a very good question, it's, it's, and thank you for clarifying. When he was comparing intellect, and when I was, we were talking about the difference between intellect and thought, so it wasn't that intellect, uh, he, was, he wasn't talking about intellect in a way that could lead a person astray necessarily. He was talking about the fact that some people just are not, don't, are not granted tremendous intellect, right? So therefore the thought, pro- the thought, is, it's like going to, the, like I was saying, I tried, started saying before, when you go to the gym, you keep trying to do weights. When you train your thinking, mm-hmm. right, that, that's something that you could, no matter how smart you are or not, you could, the more you train yourself, the more you're able to control the thinking. That's why I was comparing thinking and, and, and intellect. Here he's saying that the, that the thoughts should be so strong that even though I'm used to experiencing reality, that this is all I know, this is all there is, but I'm able to have my thoughts become so strong that they could overpower it that when I look at the world, I'm seeing the chatchil Hashem. I hear Hashem when I hear the, the sounds of nature, the sounds of rain. I, I hear Hashem. Everything is Hashem. The world is singing of Hashem. But we have to pick up on the, on the sound. And that's based on the thinking. Are we going past the thoughts or are we using thoughts? What do you mean past? 
past the thoughts, not using thoughts to do, because thoughts can be defined as lots of different things, right? So, I mean, are we going past the thoughts and getting into that consciousness of Hashem? Yeah. And, but, but that's, but then you're melding your thoughts with the consciousness of Hashem. Well, you mean conscious of Hashem, meaning you being conscious of Hashem? Yes. Yeah, that's the ultimate thinking. And those, uh, that, that, that's why it, it depends how you're defining consciousness. But if you say being conscious of Hashem, yes, no, that's what thinking that's is. That's not what they're saying, right? They're not saying conscious of Hashem. They're saying conscious, like the melding of the consciousness, right? Is that what you were saying, or did I misinterpret? I'm, I'm not understanding. What, what do you mean? Say like, that. Basically having consciousness of Hashem and just experiencing that, that, that consciousness, right? Yeah, that's thinking. That, that's, that's what we mean by thinking about Hashem. That becomes your consciousness. That becomes... But it's not thinking about Hashem. You're actually melding... It's not thinking about I mean, if you mean past, meaning that the thought brings you to a state of actual unity with Hashem? Right. Yes. That's, yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The thinking is is as how we experience Hashem, and and it makes that there's an actual connection. Yeah, totally. It's interesting, the Rambam actually writes in Mura Nevuchim, in the God of the Perplex, the Rambam says that and obviously Chassidus doesn't necessarily agree with this uh, per se, but the Rambam says that the more a person thinks about God, the more this he, that he or she has Ashkacha Pratis on them. Because he actually says that the thinking about God connects you to the divine. And so there's more Ashkacha Pratis on you, on the person that's thinking about more about God. Interesting... Uh, so anyway, so the bottom line till next week, um, since we didn't, we didn't get that far uh, uh, today, but I, I would ask you to try over the course of the week to think about thinking, to think about what it would mean over the course of a day to, you know, to pause and try to think about Hashem, what that means, you know, not just by davening, right? By, Pizesa actually writes in Achshar Zavreichim, he says, you can't just be a Jew by davening. If you're not a Jew during the rest of the hours, then you're not going to be a Jew by davening. Meaning, you can't feel davening unless the whole day is somehow connected to Hashem also. And that's, like you said, that we want to put our whole body, that not one spark should be outside of it. Tough. Thank you. Thank you.